0: Asia Tech Podcast, Podcast. voice of the Asian tech ecosystem.
1: We are live in the Asia Tech Podcast studio. My name is Graham Brown, joined by founder of Panelit, Daniel West. Welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. We're going to talk about, well, your journey as an entrepreneur. We're going to talk about people analytics, exactly what that is, what the problem is that you're trying to solve. Bit of your background as well, Mm -hmm. and also your journey in the team, where you've been. So like the last few months, what's happening, the kind of people involved in your team, your raise, companies that you've worked with, there's Mm -hmm. a lot to talk about. Yeah, Let's start at the top. Let's talk about panel it. Let's put Mm -hmm. that on the table. We've got your pitch deck here, Daniel. Mm -hmm. So um, we're not going to completely go through the whole pitch deck. We'll make that available for people if they want to watch it and watch along. If they're listening on on the audio, we'll describe what we're talking about as Mm -hmm. well. Mm Let's talk about what Panelit is first, and then we'll maybe back up a little bit and talk about how you got to that, the why, the problem that you were trying to solve. So when you talk about Panelit, what Mm. is it?
0: Mm. So so Panelit's... uh, obviously, it's a SaaS technology. It's um, it's an engine for integrating HR data from all the various sources that HR uses. And, right. and most organizations, really of any size, will use multiple places to store their HR data. Whether it's uh, a core HRIS tool, uh, your payroll system, your recruitment tool, most companies are using multiple tools. Mm. Um, and so, Panelit gives a, an easy place to integrate that data into one place and allows line managers, HR leaders, whoever, to see that data live in a system in pre-built dashboards dashboards that we've designed to to pull out various business challenges people challenges talent challenges um that, that i've experienced over the years um, and we also listen to a lot of feedback from our clients about what they're uh, trying to discover about their people mm. and we and we custom build dashboards for those as well so um panelists yeah the data integration data visualization engine um and then the 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 sort of the follow-on uh, stages and products from that that baseline is um, benchmarking where you hmm. pull data together and you can compare data across across a location across a, um, a type of uh, employee a department like technology people in indonesia you want to know more about that population we're able to look at that across all of the different client data sets and sort of see a, a holistic view where you can benchmark your your people, compensation, attrition, et cetera, against mm. those other organizations. And then as a final stage, moving on to um, predictive analytics, actually leveraging an, an AI engine to to start to predict behaviors, right. um, which is really the, the a super interesting aspect of it where you start to see the 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 power of large numbers and uh, and, mm. and the ability that gives you to predict behaviors
1: because that's what's missing in traditional hr now is mm. they have that they, they're putting these sort of dashboards together but mm. they can't sort of then action it to the next point we'll talk a bit about that as well mm. when you, mm. Mm. we look at your yeah, your your um presentation so mm. the interesting thing is is the kind of companies you've actually worked for in the past i mean it's worth talking about sure. this, i mean you said you had experience in hr but you've said that you're not blowing your own trumpet here but you've worked for some pretty senior names here yeah, in the industry. Yeah, been pretty lucky. Yeah. Exactly. So you've picked up a lot of skills in should we just throw them out casually a little bit Uber, <laughs> Apple, a few more in there. Yeah. So you've worked for some of the leading brands in our space and you've headed up HR in these companies and different departments and mm-hmm. so on. What did you learn from that process? Because you would have thought, you know, an Uber or an Apple, they've got it right. They've got all this down pat because mm. they've got the boffins on this. Mm. Did you sort of come away from them thinking actually you know these guys are just like everybody else they mm. they have these challenges what what did you learn in that process? yeah that's
0: that's yeah absolutely that, that that's that's the question it, the the we we look at organizations like Apple and we think yeah they've they've got everything sorted they do everything perfectly internally and and as anyone knows who's worked for those kind of companies it's very very definitely not the case you know, mm. any company is um you know phenomenal at one or two things like mm, Apple is the you know, the, the the premier marketing organization, the premier uh, product design organization. Um, but definitely when, when I worked there, and, and it was still a, a fairly early days for the organization, this is, this is uh, I was there when the iPhone was launched. I mean, the first iPhone was right. launched. So, so we're talking about, what, <laughs> 2006? Is, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So this it was still there. Uh, yeah. I mean, when and I, when I joined Apple, it was maybe 15,000 people. By the time I left, it was 30,000. And now, the, what, they're 150,000 plus, right? So it's a different company now than it was. But at but, the... Um, but yeah, definitely. What I learned from working for a company like Apple is the um, the, the 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 power of um, getting the your your facts behind you about making an argument. Mm. These are um, you know folks that are at the top of their game, and and they want all the folks around them to be at the top of their game. So so it it definitely makes you step up your game and. Um, and, and as you're giving strategic advice to to senior leaders at Apple, you you need to you know, corral your facts. But definitely at that time, there was no such thing as a people analytics function, no right, such thing right. as, a, as a data reporting function. You were pulling the data together yourself, and that's you know very long nights uh, putting together putting together data and and uh, and building those arguments. Mm. Um, and then working for for other companies, I was head of HR for for Noble Group, for example, which is a 16,000-person-odd uh, commodities company. And that, again, was an organization where very large, very good at one particular thing, but had no HR infrastructure. And me and my team mm-hmm. we actually built a technology platform from the ground up, and that actually taught me a lot about the power of um data integrations apis i I ran a development team there was in-house developing hr software um and so that got me fairly deep into the the tech of it and where the data comes from the importance of how you um connect systems together right um and then at, at uber yeah so uber was the is the is the one example here of um for all the things that Uber did did wrong in many ways around HR, really invested in HR technology very early on Mm. and allocated some time of the data science team to the HR organization. So we had a data scientist actually working with us. Um, And that was my learning on really the power of people analytics and what people analytics could really do, the Mm. the real potential of it. Um, When you do connect all your systems together, when you do have... Azuba had very large amounts of data, and because it's a very young company, very clean data, so very recent data, Mm -hmm. um, you could do um, fantastic analytics. Can I give you an example? Yeah, please. uh, So so a a really uh, sort of very useful piece of analytics that that we did there um, was looking at the connection between um, who the hiring managers are and who the recruiters are and the outcomes of the people that they hired. Mm. And so you looked at the... 3 month attrition like how many people leave in their first 3 months in the company how many people leave in their first year in the company how many people become a top performer or a bottom performer and you look back and look at the who the hiring manager was and it's it's immediately obvious that right. there's a top 10% of managers where 90% of the people they hire become a top performer and right. there's another group of managers where 90% of the people they hire are gone in 3 months
1: yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? Because before we, it was guesswork, wasn't it? Yeah, we had well, an intuition. and it goes. And it goes. Yeah. I mean,
0: you, you, you get a sense of right, what's right, happening, right. but you don't. You can't really back it up with proof.
1: Yeah, and um, I'm, f- I'm fascinated by this. And I, uh, we've got to go into your pitch deck, but mm-hmm. we'll sort of like put the, the data and the structure behind it. But I'm fascinated behind this because I think now we're kind of understanding that HR has emerged from being on people analytics, I suppose now, Is that what was once, I guess, like a policing function within an organization, making sure we didn't screw up on the contract, et cetera, et cetera, Mm -hmm, legal mm -hmm, function or mm -hmm, a CSR mm -hmm. function type Mm -hmm. thing, is now driving so many aspects of the organization like culture, marketing, PR. Mm -hmm. You know, if you've got great people like those top performers, Mm -hmm. how important that is for marketing or PR, right? You know, you've got those evangelists there who Mm -hmm. are going out and spreading Mm -hmm. the word. Mm -hmm. So then you can go back to the people who found those you know, the, that talent mm. and say, we need more of them. We oh, need to absolutely. support these guys. Yeah. right? And that is a very powerful marketing yeah, tool, right? Absolutely. All right. We're getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> let's go back to the pitch deck. Let's talk about what the problem is first, because you've alluded oh, to yeah. it here. Yeah. So let's get that up front. So you've got it here. I mean, the fundamental problem with people data is... Mm-hmm. That,
0: that even if you have data, it's in multiple different places and you've got no way of accessing it simply. And even HR has great trouble accessing the data that they own in their systems, the rest of the business has got no chance of of getting hold of that data. it's It's sitting in tools that are there to do something, like a recruitment tool is there to help you recruit. It contains a massive amount of useful information, but there's very very little way to, to access it mm. and even there are a few recruitment tools that do have good reporting built in they're not combining that piece of data with other data let, let's say performance data right. so, so you can't see all that data in one place and that and that's true i would say for almost any company except that very rare group of the the Salesforce, facebook's uh, google's and and ubers who have invested in people analytics at a very mm. deep level but Almost any other organization has no access to that data.
1: Right. Is that just because of the way the organization is organized? Because HR and then the performance data is that an HR thing? I mean, when yeah. it comes, yeah, yeah, all so... the data
0: is owned by HR. Right. Um, but they, it all lives in individual systems, and so yeah. I, I think the where the where the problem comes from is partly the nature of um, the HR technology market, where mm. um, all these disparate. Parts of HR sit in different systems, which which I think is the best way because you end up with really dedicated tools that do that thing really well. Yeah. But the HR tech market hasn't been forced to make them make those tools talk to each other. There's right. no standard right. of, of how data transfers from one HR tool to the other. Um, the, yeah, no industry standard, no market standard. So you're not um, replacing so those tools; you're just you're, you're no. creating
1: an interface between them. Absolutely. Right. That's exactly Can we dive into that because mm, mm, we sure, actually sure, have sure. a look at the platform itself? Mm. So you call yourself a SAS people analytics platform. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of a, and we we'll to come back to the team in a minute, mm-hmm. but let's look at actually how this works. Mm. And you've got a breakdown here in the, um, a nice sort of infographic here as well. How it actually works integration? Can you explain what we're looking at here?
0: Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. So this this is illustrating the 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 HR tech stack, if if you like the yeah. the multiple um, types of tools that most organisations use. So so different buckets here from the core HRAS to the payroll tools, to your performance management tools. I think a lot of people who aren't in HR or haven't worked in large organisations. Don't really grasp how many different types of HR tools there are, right. and that, that is a little bit inside baseball. But um, but but to get across the fact that there are, you know, there's a dozen different uh, varieties of HR tool, and then within that, there's multiple different vendors. And so what what we um, put our effort into is. Uh, building APIs into all of, the, all of the standard tools and building in a, um, a workflow that allows the easy upload of um, CSV files or Excel files. And then the particular sort of secret source is a, um, a proprietary interface about how you map the data from one um, system into the Panelit system and so that all the different systems are feeding the data in and that that data all connects. Mm. So you're essentially able to track a single employee's experience and um, data records through all of those different systems from when they're a candidate, from when they first uh, start talking to the organization, all the way through to when they leave the organization and every system that tracks them across the way. And so we we have a, a, a very nice self-service interface um, to help map those fields mm. um, and that's that's one of the primary difficulties of how, why people analytics isn't a stronger function because of the, that that difficulty of matching that data mm-hmm. together.
1: You've mentioned as well mapping a journey. Mm-hmm. So one thing I'm curious about is it's all very well tracking data, but how does that change behavior? How does it actually change behavior within the organization? Mm. So, for example, if, if I was to learn certain aspects of, of uh, an employee's journey over mm. time from the, when they started to their performance to whatever happens later on mm. in the business mm. does that actually change the way that people deal with it does that change the way people do performance reviews does it change mm. the way that employees behave is there sort of a mm. you know like a, a cultural change in that process as a result of mapping it and measuring it
0: um i, mean, I suppose like like anything the act of measuring changes the thing but mm. but uh, and, and so, you know, going through like performance management exercises, whether that's, you know, once a year or, or every week, you know, that, that kind of um, process focuses people's attention on their performance, makes them think about what they're achieving. So, so I think processes themselves actually it can be beneficial if they're done well. Mm. But, but I think particularly to the, to the panel, it's usefulness and, and power here is allowing people to see the um, results of their decisions and then influence them to make better decisions going forward and so an an example where um it's it, it, in a fast-moving organization. Um, you need to make an organization change, and you realize, okay, well, I need to move this manager to that team. I need to move this manager to that team, and I'm just gonna, you know, make those moves happen to release one of my high talents to go and do some new project. And you mm-hmm. do, and you just do it, and you think about what's best for the business is to release that great talent to go and, and run that new project. So you shuffle your managers around and you move on with with life. Um, but if you have a data point that shows. Very clearly to a very high degree of accuracy that if an employee has three different managers in a year, they're Mm. 80% more likely to leave right across any organization across any industry, any country, three different managers who are responsible for driving your career, owning your career, giving you jobs to do, assessing you. If that person changes three times in a year that person's almost certainly gone. And so when you're making that decision around quickly moving these managers around to get to your organizational goal, if you have a very simple, very quick, very easy to access tool that shows you that if you do that, this group of 10 people are almost certainly out the door. If you don't do something extra, so mm. I'm not saying you then don't do the org change that you that you need to do to drive the business. You still need to drive the business, but then you put some extra attention into mm-hmm. those ten people. You you pull those them aside. You give them a development plan. You give them some face time with the CEO to let them know that they're really valuable. To let mm. them know that that they are important to the organization, and you're not just playing musical chairs with yeah. their manager just for the hell of it, right? Yeah. And and I think a lot of very fast moving organizations are very top down. They're they're driven by um you know the the, the charismatic founders, and I've worked for you know people like steve jobs and and uh, and Travis, right? So I've seen that in action and they'd make decisions on the fly and they're normally yeah, yeah, great yeah. decisions for yeah. the business. They're normally pretty
1: terrible decisions for the individual. Interesting. Mm. yeah. Because they they're doing it from gut instinct.
0: And mm, mm. oh, and they're doing it maybe from a very good analysis of right, what the right. business needs at the yeah, top level. Yeah. It might be driven by numbers at that decision. Yeah. But the impact of it is invisible until suddenly, six months later, they turn around to HR and say, Well, why has our attrition gone up? Exactly. Why why are we losing so many great people? There's your data points. Because you don't care about them. Right. And I can prove you don't care about well,
1: them. Well, that brings me to asking this question, why? because mm. we'll dive into the case studies. You've got some great case studies I want to sort of expand sure, a little bit. Sure, sure. But the why behind panel it mm. you've spent, you know, your career in HR and people. Mm. Why did you decide to do this? Because especially somebody who's worked in large organizations like the Uber, Noble Groups, Apple, for mm. example, you could have, built a very successful career and continued building it mm. for these large organizations yeah. you know, until you just kind of sailed off into the sunset with your retirement. So why mm. have you chosen to come out, start a startup and do this? What was the, 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 what was missing?
0: Yeah, no, that's it's a great question. It, it's, it, it's funny. I, I think of my time at, at actually all three of those, I mean, sort of three, the, the large companies I worked at recently, the, the Apple, Noble Group and, and Uber, they're all, Organizations going going through tremendous growth. They're all going through massive change. Mm. And so I don't think of them as working for large companies. I think of them as working for companies that are going through that change. And, and they're ex- it's an exciting time to be in organizations like that. And I think that's kind of become a, a, a specialization of mine is to work with organizations going through scale. Mm. Um, and... And I suppose I I enjoyed working at Uber, especially the first six months or so, where we had, I was head of HR for International. We had maybe 100 people in Asia, maybe 200 people in Europe. And over the course of 18 months, we grew that to about 4,500 people. That's a kind of scale that no organization's ever done. And I Mm -hmm. would never recommend any organization to do it. (laughs) But it was an amazing thing to experience. And coming out of that and, um, you know, obviously... Uh, Uber had some tremendous cultural problems, um, mm. which partly left, led to, to, to me leaving. But it def- definitely got to the point where, yeah, it's becoming a large corporate. And I realized that's not really what I enjoy. What I really enjoy is helping small organizations scale. Mm. So after Uber, I spent like, two years doing my own sort of one-man consulting, um, working for VCs and investors with their portfolio companies. So I've spent about two years supporting high-growth startups, um, companies that are getting ready for their their Series B, where they're going to have to scale very rapidly. Helping them set up their HR departments, uh, restructure their comp plans, you know, sort of relook at. Who they are from a people perspective, mm. and get them set on a different track. Mm. Um, so after working with investors for a couple of years doing that, and having them repeatedly telling me that I should be doing this as well, right, <laughs> and uh, then working with a number of founders, people that I really came to respect And So there's some yeah. great, there's some great founders out there running some great businesses. Um, and yeah, generally I was persuaded to, to to do it. And I'd been thinking about letters or the concept of a of a self service people analytics tool. Mm. Um, that's always been in the back of my mind as that's what my uh, industry my specialization needs mm-hmm. that's actually a tool that i want to use so i went and built it
1: you did it yeah yeah you stopped taking advice yeah yeah well i mean made yeah, it happen.
0: I, I took the advice and just
1: went and went and, went and made it happen that's thing you can do i think yeah. given, given your experience as well mm. and you know you work with high growth startups mm. or scale you know when people are scaling up and mm. whether that be a corporate who's very much a startup mm. you know going from the 200 to 2000 or whatever mm-hmm. um down to the smaller startups you know, maybe now they're going through that scale phase. Mm. One of the the things that you've mentioned is about being able to measure performance within the organization or be able to like track back and find a decision made led to this outcome yeah. with this person, right? Yeah. Surely um, without knowing how this works, surely the, the issue is, is that in a startup, they don't have a history. They don't have oh, a workforce yeah. of 200. Yeah. Are you then going out and, grabbing data sets from other well that that's where the benchmarking comes in. yeah so yeah.
0: The, the, the benchmarking comes in that there, there is no publicly available data of the kind of quality that i think we, we, we would need i think the the problems with organization or with um sites or data sources like glassdoor you know yeah, the yeah. Glassdoor organization, absolutely, it's completely self-reported yeah. there, there's no way to really know if those numbers are true or if what's reported is true where where and, and so therefore it's very easy for a manager who doesn't agree with your advice to just dismiss it and say well okay with that, that's self-reported data I don't need to listen to that yeah. whereas what we're building within Panelit is a, a data universe of similar sized companies in the region or in in the regions where our, our, our clients are um, so we we cover the location we cover the type of industry the type of employees that sort of what the jobs are that they're doing and so yeah the, then we build up a um, even a short history across a very large number Number of companies, a very large number of employees, gives us the predictive data to be mm. able to to um, basically say what is what is normal, <laughs> what is what is usual within your industry. So you know, it, it is. Uh, I worked at, at one organisation that had a attrition of fifty percent. They lose fifty percent of their people every year. Well, I'm like assuming that's high. Yeah, it, it, exactly. it is high. Um, and and then you and then a manager see that top line number and they want to make a, a knee jerk decision. Mm. But when you when you've got a larger data set and you can dig in and see, well, actually the developer team have got a very normal attrition, normal compared to the rest of the market. Mm. Whereas your let's say your sales team have got a very high attrition compared to the other salespeople in the market. Right, then yeah. you're doing a much more nuanced dive into the data, and then you can target decision making um, m- much more effectively. So yeah, so for an organization of you know, 10 people who wants to become 50 people. Yeah, how useful is that? I think the having the compensation data that's driven from other live... Um uh, current startups helps a, helps a, a founder to make a decision around am I gonna pay market am I gonna pay over the odds right. because I need to hire quickly and I need to hire certain talent am I gonna pay under the odds because I think we're great at developing people and I don't need to pay over the odds at the moment they're making that decision in a vacuum or they're using very inaccurate data mm. that's available publicly that's again publicly reported data mm. um, so we're giving them much more nuanced data where they can really look and see okay a two-year experience data scientist in Singapore this is what the rest of the market's paying. Therefore, I can make that decision. So compensation is an easy one to talk about. But yeah, there's, sure. There's a lot,
1: there's yeah, a lot more. There's yeah, a longitudinal yeah. journey as exactly. well. Are you employing this on yourself as well and your organization? Yeah. Of course, uh, yeah, I know yeah, an course, but yeah, you gotta, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta your own dog. Practice part. exactly, um, but that I mean, just curious, like your insights, because what I want to ask you is, mm. have you sort of like challenged your own assumptions by looking at the data? Because even though you consider yourself an analytics person, you're going to make human decisions, like yeah. you know. Actually, I know this, and I do this all the time. And yeah. I th- look back on something, and, no, I was wrong because yeah. the data told me I was wrong. Yeah. Even though twenty years down the line, I should know better.
0: Yeah, I mean funnily, I don't think of myself as an analytics person. Okay, yeah, I, I don't think of myself as you know. HR manager, entrepreneur, you right. know, BD guy it, it, and I and I just happen to really trust the analytics and, yeah. I, and I know that you need to have that to back up your decisions. But I think that's why I'm still also very careful to, I try to um, uh, sort of always give yeah. the founders, business leaders the the benefit of the doubt that they are making the right decision for their business mm. but it's just that they're not understanding the impact it's going to have on their people and then if I give them, give them better data they understand the impact of those probably correct business decisions mm-hmm. then they can then Account for them, um, you know, do the follow-up to, to to mitigate the negative impact on their people. Mm. So I suppose I'm 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 not saying that you know, and you have to make all your decisions based on the the people numbers. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of challenging my own my own assumptions, um, I I suppose because I've had such a a journey of using the data, I tend to look at the data and then right, go, okay, yeah, well, yeah, what is this yeah. telling me? And then I'll You're go well ahead trained. and make a decision. Okay. I've kind of trained myself. In L- that let one, me anyway. make
1: it easier for you, Daniel. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, in an organization of our size, like seven, mm. without knowing anything about me and my business and how I run it and mm. how we as a team run it, huh. um, just assume I'm, I'm the average startup entrepreneur with all my foibles and, you know, like mm. weird... Idiosyncrasies <laughs> of being a founder, a sure. wannabe Steve Jobs, etc. Sure. Right. So just assume that I'm like that. Mm. Organization of seven people. Mm. If I was to use a platform like this, what? What do? You, where are the sort of like the quick wins? What do mm. you think would happen? And compensation in... is
0: definitely the, 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 right. the quick win. I mean, for for an organization that's very small, very young. Um, the 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 easy use of of, of panellet for, for startups is to look at that compensation number and to be able to get to a very granular level of detail around i need to hire again i need to hire a data scientist and the reason i choose that role because that's the great example of a role where the salary is changing incredibly quickly yeah. in the market it's a very small talent pool you need to make the right decision um and so absolutely for, for early stage startups i would i would say you're, you're the reason that you'll go to panel it initially is to start looking at am i paying people right Mm -hmm. um for where we are for who we where we are as a stage of the company um where we are location-wise and and what that person's roles and skills are but what i'd hope is that over time as you sort of run the business through for the next you know year two years three years you're going to be plugging the data is going to be plugging in We'll, we'll build an api to your payroll provider or whoever wherever we get the data from and then in two or three years, you'll look back and you'll have that history. Mm. And maybe at that time you're you know, 50 people, mm. but you'll have a, a track record of um, what your decisions as a as a leader you make. Let's say performance decisions about your staff. What what impact those performance decisions had on people's likelihood of staying? Or um, you may you gave people salary increases, and did that make people higher perform higher or not? Mm. Actually, most data shows that. Um, bonuses don't result in higher attrition, exactly, in, yeah. in in higher retention, yeah. and salary increases don't lead to higher performance. Yeah. So what does? Yeah. It, generally, it's engagement. Generally, it's how much time you spend with your with your people. But can you
1: quantify that? Can I, you know, do I have to tap in like how many hours I spent with my team this month? Or? If
0: you, uh, I mean, it would be great at some point. I would advise any, any um, founder to run an engagement survey on a really regular basis, mm. not because when you're five people not because you don't know how those five people are feeling it's it gives you a baseline so that when you're 50 people yeah, yeah. you know what good looks like or you yeah. know what a sense you have a sense of what five people are feeling mm. and you'll lose that sense when it's 50 people mm. but when you can look back and say well at five people our engagement scores looked like this people responded to these 10 questions in this way across the team and as it grew some things we've gotten better at and some things yeah. we've gotten worse at. Those scores have, have improved or um, or declined over time. And, and the important thing about engagement scores is the score itself means nothing. It's the change in yeah, time exactly. that means something. Yeah. And then again, when you as a founder, you have the, the organizational history, you'll look back and you'll see when engagement really dipped and you'll probably see attrition increased. You, you probably lost three or four critical people sort of three months later, mm. and you can start to go, ah, okay. And that dip in engagement, again, you, because you know the business, you can link that back to, oh, yeah, that's when I was doing a fundraising round. Mm. So I was focused on the investors, and I wasn't focused on my team. And you can start to see the connections. Yeah. And then the next time you do a fundraising round, it'll help to change your behavior. Yeah. So so it's not a, a quick win. Again, the compensation maybe is a quick win, but over, but but analytics is a... Is an overtime yeah um,
1: yeah tool, and it takes the BS out of making decisions as well, it, which is ultimately it helps to remove bias. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I say BS, you say bias. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, let's have a look I'm at your keep, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> keep. Let's have a look at your case study. You've got mm. a great case study in here. I know th- there's a whole bunch in your pitch deck, but there's mm. one that I wanted to pick sure. from. Um, if I can just jump forward to t- t- towards the end of the pitch deck, there's one from Kareem. Mm, yeah. So your uh, this is the Middle East ride-sharing platform.
0: Yeah, they are the Uber of the Middle East. Yeah, I mean so... they're just like Grab here or, or Didi in in China. They're much larger in in their home location than the Uber, um, but unlike those other places, Gra- Uber still actually operates there. Yeah, um, and is competing heavily with Kareem.
1: So this is an interesting study, isn't it? Because you've got, I mean, it's not like a traditional office-based corporation, is it? Mm, Where everybody's mm, in, mm. you know, you've got lots of drivers who are sort of working for the company or not. So, uh, in,
0: you know, So importantly, the drivers, just like Uber, are definitely not employees. Right. 100% they're so they not are employees. Of this, absolutely, right. they're not inside, they're inside of our they're the deck. business, though. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But, but they are with the core... partners rather than right. employees. Got it. Um, and so this is absolutely focused on the employees. And, right. And yeah, and I'm sure Kareem would want me to really heavily emphasize Got that they're it. not employees. For tax reasons. <laughs> for for, for yeah, all kinds of reasons. So okay, um, let's talk about it. so you, Yeah, but this is about employees. But, but actually, right. I think um some part part of your point actually uh, really uh, is still correct because uh, Kareem, just like just like Uber the, the nature of the business means that you don't have all of your staff sitting in one big office all working together you have these uh, very small remote teams working in the individual cities and we had exactly the same issue at at uber where you hire these incredibly smart very very bright highly educated highly motivated uh, teams and um, you put them into a completely remote city in the middle of nowhere and they might have two colleagues next to them and and then tell them to go and conquer the world mm. um, or conquer that city anyway so um, you do have these highly distributed teams which is actually where part of the uh, the case study here which is the organization network analysis comes from so should I, do? You want me to yeah please
1: dive in mm. indulge
0: um so organization network analysis is looking at the metadata behind email and chat systems so um the metadata, not the content of the email or the mm. chat but but who's sending to whom and when, and so we can count how often. Um, so let's say Slack, you know, the Slack yep. tool, right? Um, so so let's say you, your whole organization's on Slack. We'll measure how often um, people Slack each other and who's Slacking whom. Mm. Um, and so when you know what department people are in and you know y- you know sort of where they sit in the organization, organizationally, and, but also you know their tenure, age, gender, you can start to map behaviors. Mm. Um, and at a very simple level, you can um, see the connections between people. And very often you find... Um, within a country, people are communicating very well within the country, but typically there's one person that's very well connected to the rest of the organization and, and contacts people in other countries and other cities and, and head office a lot. And there's other people that never talk to anyone outside the country. Um, in some departments, you'll find um, the, the most successful salespeople, because we did do this analysis at a, at a, a previous firm, the, um, you'll find the most successful salesperson is very well connected to people in marketing and operations. Hmm. and we're not looking at the content so there's an assumption here and i think it's correct that it doesn't matter if they're exchanging cat photos every day with someone in operations
1: they're exchanging they're exchanging they're connecting
0: and then that one time when they need operations to do something a little bit unorthodox to help a sale happen they'll get that to happen because they've got that relationship whereas another salesperson that doesn't have those relationships they can't pull any strings they can't get they can't work outside the box, and so the most successful salespeople are very well networked within their own companies. Um, and so the network analysis that we that we're doing with Kareem shows how some countries, some city teams, are very well connected to each other and to other city teams, and those in theory, and we're still looking at the data to, to support this, but in theory will be the higher performing cities. That's our assumption. That's yeah. the that, that's what that's what the anecdotes say. And so we're gonna see if the data backs that up. Yeah. Um, whereas cities where where generally they're slower to succeed, they're slower to apply new strategies, slower to apply the lessons learned of the organization the assumption the anecdote would say that that they are less networked within the organization
1: interesting so, so. going back to your point about like super connectors within mm-hmm, an organization mm-hmm. are they not necessarily the one with super connector in their title oh, or whatever absolutely. that may be officially oh, no, that's,
0: that's a very good point because part of the visualization that we that we're working on is a side by side visualization of your network Uh, analysis sort of where you sit and how the connections you've got go within the organization next to your position on the actual org chart Mm. because we realize that actually that sometimes is is, uh, related but very often isn't and very often line managers will overlook the actual networked power of someone that's fairly junior in their organization and by uh, allowing a manager to understand that um, should allow them to, to sort of release some of the potential and um, leverage the potential within their team better.
1: Right. Mm. So they can identify those who are being overlooked mm. because they're junior. They may even be an intern, yeah, for example, absolutely. but a super communicator. A bit,
0: bit super networked in, in a certain yeah, organization, especially if you need to get a certain kind of thing done. So, right. so let's say we, we need to pull together a social media team Well, okay, well, then we need to target sort of 20-somethings who are um, sort of spread across the organization and can represent different parts of the organization. Well, who's going to be best to do that? Well, we could look at the network analysis and and work out who's actually super connected in that age group across departments, and we could do that in a a very quick way.
1: Yeah, Um, that's interesting. That's insightful as well, because the Mm -hmm. the people who are doing this already Mm -hmm. without being told to do it, often that's the character trait that you're looking for. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Great. Well... There's a whole bunch of other case studies in the pitch deck as well, which people can check out. Um, let's talk about your team mm-hmm. as well. So if we jump back in on the pitch deck, um, obviously this is a, a key part of the story here. I want to understand a bit about, before we have a look at your, your investors and advisors as mm, well, sure. how you guys met? What's the story here?
0: Um, yeah, so I mentioned I was doing um, a, a bunch of consulting projects um, after, after working at Uber. And on one of those projects was... Um, uh, a, a crazy well-funded high-growth startup called noon noon e-commerce in in Dubai mm. um, which would be a whole other podcast talking about the, that as a, as a as a as a history story about how not to run a startup <laughs> um, but um, but yeah so I was brought in to again set up the, uh, the the HR organization particularly the HR technology and systems and processes that sort of thing um, and, um, I had a, a there was a, a guy on LinkedIn who had been chasing me for a little while for an internship at Uber where I, where I had been. And, um, and I, and I realized that I had a just a shed load of data to crunch and to, to, to pull together to to create a clean data set for this uh, new new startup. And um, and so I pinged him on LinkedIn, and that's uh, Yusuf Raza. Um, and Yusuf had just, uh, was just graduating, had done a couple of other people analytics um, hmm. uh, internships um, I think with Rolls-Royce and uh, Credit Suisse. Yeah. Um, and um yeah had just that right background you know he'd, he'd done sort of what we were trying to do um uh, within the organization and so yeah, so he came to work with me in dubai and apparently he got fairly famous within his university as being the guy who got the uh, the full paid internship yeah. in dubai um Good for him. and um he was around again when i was making this decision around um should should i be productizing this this idea and, and founding a uh, a startup, and um, and so Yusuf put us together with uh, Pratium and and Shurik on uh, on the deck there, and um, Pratium, Shariq and and Yusuf are all um, grads of NTU, mm. um, and they all have this background in the uh, the hackathon networks. So mm. so hackathons where the engineering students will spend. Um, you know, two days crunching on a, on a particular, uh, problem to turn it from pure idea into a functioning, you know, MVP. Um, and then they get judged and, you know, win cool prizes. Um, and Pratim particularly, but also Yusuf and, and Sharika are deep in the, uh, the hackathon weeds. Mm. Um, and so by sitting down with these guys, um, we did a couple of, um, off sites that, uh. The, I, f- I flew the whole team to, to to thailand and we sat in a villa for for 3 days and we built the mvp we did that over two different sessions was so that before
1: you hired them or that was after this, you hired this them? is as as a part of the hiring as process
0: as part of the right, as right. as part great of hey of guys find, let's go and yeah. build something and yeah. and what you were saying before about you know people people are uh, people are really engaged by a project that they feel they can really contribute yeah, to—that's yeah, that, yeah. interesting. So, of course, when I started describing uh, people analytics to you know these these young engineering students, you know they had no idea what I was talking about. But when I was talking about very large numbers that we are going to crunch and we're going to put into really beautiful dashboards, yeah. Um, and there's a technical challenge—the technical challenge at every step of the way that no one's ever quite solved. Yeah, they they grab that, that idea and just ran with it. Yeah. Um and, and the culture of the hackathon, the the, the the culture where there's no such thing as a bad idea and there's no such thing as something that can't be built. Everything mm-hmm. can be built. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, what are the different hacks we're going to use to get there? Um, and Pratium's an absolute genius at this. He's uh, he, he can he can take, you know, d- two bits of wood and rub it together and produce, produce a, a functional website. Um, so, yeah, so that's kind of how we started. And that's mm-hmm. also why we... Um, we sponsored the most recent NTU hackathon mm. uh, recently. Um, we, we kind of wanted to give back to that community, and um, Pratian was invited back as a as an engineering advisor to the to the hackathon teams, and Yusuf was a judge. And uh, yeah, we're, we're very happy to sponsor the NTU. Yeah,
1: there's a great lesson in there as well for people who want to work for startups: is mm. how you know not through the traditional routes, but how to get recognised, how oh, to get on board. Yeah. And for them, it's a good way of working out whether or not you can work together oh, as absolutely. well the chemistry is yeah. there because you're yeah. a team working together in absolutely in, you know very intense in exactly senses, yeah. In a, yeah yeah, yeah. Exactly. no
0: no we, we we worked out very very quickly through those sort of four days building the building the mvp that yeah we, we were just a team that could that could call each other out, that could argue, that could, that could debate and, Mm. and then just get on and crunch and build stuff. Um, and yeah, it absolutely built the, the sort of the formative culture of the company. Um, and we, we still sort of operate like that. We, we're we're completely open about what's a good idea. What's a bad idea, what we want to build, how we're going to build it and and get on with it.
1: Um, yeah. Well, we'll come back to that in a minute because we'll talk about the culture and recruitment as well. Mm. Your race. So tell us a little bit about where you are in your history in terms of for example how old are you first as a as a company how long have you been going um, a year so yeah. you've been going a year exactly, yeah. up to this point you've you've have angel investors on board
0: um angel and vc so WaveMaker um led our our sort of first pre pre-seed round right. um where we had about a, a 2.5 mil val um, and when we raised about half a mil okay on, on that um, so we're just going now into a, um, a second round. Um, the, the, the nature of the, the product does mean that we have a fairly long sales cycle. B2B SaaS mm-hmm. um, for, for larger organizations is a, is a fairly long sales cycle. So we're looking for another um, six-month runway um, to, to really prove out our, our sales cycle. Um, you know, we, we have revenues now, but we want to get a, to a healthier revenue position before right. we go to a, a full um, seed or A round. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, so we're looking for about, you know, 300 to 500 K, um, to give us that, that, that extra runway.
1: Okay. Um, Is there a particular type of investor partner that you're looking for? Because there's a lot of money out there at the moment, so you're going to be a bit sort of... Well, careful be... about who exactly you want do you want just Absolutely. the money or you want the dumb money or you want something else to come with it <laughs> um yeah it's a great question i, I think in,
0: again I, i've been very lucky because of the several years i've spent at, at companies like uber and then and then consulting for, for vcs so i've been very lucky to to have exposure and to know you know who i think are the the, the good folks and uh, people that have actually worked with me mm-hmm. and i think that makes a massive difference so the guys at uh Ardent Capital, um, um, Piers Bennett, Paul Um, You know, they're, they're, I've actually done work, hands-on work for them, so that that was a um, a fairly easy discussion about their investment and the the relationship with WaveMaker is also very strong. And mm. Paul Santos at WaveMaker is a a fantastic um, a fantastic guy to to sort of leave you alone when you need to just get on with stuff, but but to be there to really ask you the tough questions and to to come up with um, the the to to really. Help you plan out your uh, sales and marketing strategy. He's a, he's he's great at building that sales mm. story about about how you're you're taking your product to market. And so uh, yeah, Paul's been a, a great supporter. Um, but also one of our investors talk, talking about sort of what's the the ideal investor you know, aside from from WaveMaker. It it is a. Uh, one of our investors is, is Black Mountain, which is an HR services company, and uh, they're very high touch. They've got a, a large number of clients where they manage HR data for for their clients, so they really understand the power of, of mm. the system we're building, and they have a direct connection to a to a whole client group. And so, obviously, a, a, a key, an ideal investor would be someone who is in some way in the market in our in our similar market space, where there's some synergy with um what what they're building and, and what we're building mm. um so yeah that that's a, a great place to be
1: good let's finish up by talking about spartan
0: oh yeah yeah so
1: and obviously you're recruiting mm. as any startup founder sure yeah. full-time mm. recruiting mm. It mm. seems to be mm. endless trying to find talent mm. that's what it's all about these days um maybe we can talk about it in the context of this so is this the recruitment process that I mean if, if you're listening by the way on the podcast not watching the video there's pictures of people being put through military style obstacle courses yeah but they're smiling the, so
0: the Spartan race is a, is a fantastic uh, event um, I mean it's a global event um the, the the spartan race series and um, but they're they're in singapore every six months or so um down on sentosa beach and they lay out this uh really rigorous sort of military style assault course yeah um and the, the there's three levels of it but, but the basic level of the sprint is a 5k run and i think 20 or 30 obstacles for you to climb over and run through and muddy muddy fields and barbed wire you need to crawl under and walls you need to climb and um yeah yeah so a bunch of the team are are pretty strong fitness fanatics particularly um ak who's our uh, data scientist is a, is a super athletic guy and you can see him on the monkey uh, rings there but him and and, and yusuf and pratium and Pratim and, and, right. uh, and our designer iwani um yeah they all went and participated in the uh, in the in the Spartan, they all did really well as well. They all got. They didn't the convince course. you to go, or they tried to. I was I was, uh, I was uh, chief the photographer. Yeah, <laughs> so actually it was pouring with rain. So I, I did. Yeah. I just I just stood there trying to hide my uh, my camera from the rain while I was capturing them. Um, and cheering them on. That was your sweet um, spot, yeah, absolutely. But we uh, we got some some great goat shirts designed, and um, yeah, everyone was, did a good great job on, on the on. shirts. And yeah, it was just fantastic team building, um, getting training up for it, and the day itself, and and then celebrating afterwards. It's been uh, yeah, doing that sort of team building is is, is really important, even That's for a about, small organization. It?
1: What are you um, looking for, in like sort of moving forward? Because people will watch this and think, right, I want to be part of this. Hmm. You know, I love hearing your story, Daniel, and I think you're doing something which I feel I can add. To. um But it's more than that, isn't it? You know, More than somebody just saying, look, I'm a data scientist. Mm. You're looking for a particular type of person or with certain hard skills or certain soft skills. What What is it that really, mm. for you, checks the box that you know they're going to fit in with your organization?
0: Um, in terms of the hard skills, I mean, obviously, in, in the development roles, um, and for example, one of the roles we're looking for is an API engineer. The, uh, building APIs into all of these various systems is, mm. um, it is an incredibly complex task, and from everything we've learned so far, the APIs out of out of most HR systems is some of the worst tech that's out there in the market. They they are terrible, um, and we need to to build the um, a, a really scalable solution to to build APIs very quickly from from these disparate tools. So so yeah, so there are obviously technical skills that the particular technical skills we want to bring on board. But in terms of soft skills, um, yeah, I, I mean I I've, I've been around for, for for quite a while. I've run very large teams and um, my my management style is i'm not a particularly hands-on manager i like to hire people that are passionate about what they do uh, are good at what they do and you know we should we should agree on what the objective is and i just want people to run for it mm. and i don't want to be holding hands and, and chivying people and you know kicking people up up the butt um that's not my style and and that's not what i'm i'm there for right. i'm there to be part of the team and and do my part of the job and People should do their part of the job, and we should all just aim for the same goal. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so I'm looking for people that are um, self-starters that that, that um, believe in what they're trying to do and are, and are able to sort of plan out their work and, um, and plan out and be very self-driven and, and sort of decide their own time. Um, we're very flexible on sort of time schedules, and you know, when you need to take time off, you take time off, and when you need to to work through the night, you work through the night. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, we're not strict about that that sort of thing. So yeah, having people that are very self-driven is important.
1: Excellent, mm. Daniel West, everybody, mm. founder of Panelit. Daniel, thank you so much for coming oh, on the show you today. Very much. Been well, great. What's the best way for people to reach out to you? Do you have a preferred channel?
0: Um, I mean, uh, e- emails easy, panelit.com, or you can just go to the website panelit.com and um, there's a contact there. Um, but yeah, yeah, emails probably easy, or, or LinkedIn. Obviously, you can find me on LinkedIn very easily.
1: We'll put all the details in mm. the show notes. Yeah, Daniel, thanks. thank you so much.
0: Grand, today. thank you very much. It's been great.
1: You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast.
0: Find out more at ATP.show.